0: To the 8th episode of Agnes Varda uh, The Complete uh, this episode will be One Sings, The Other Doesn't uh, her uh, self-described feminist musical from uh, the, the 1970s after a huge gap in uh, the ability to find funding for her movies despite being Agnes Varda <laughs> um, she was finally uh, back in the swing of things uh, with a with a, a pretty big hit in France uh, for this movie. Um, I'm Matt Gasteyer, and uh, as usual, I am here with my co-host Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis?
1: I'm doing well. I thought originally you were going to say that one sings, the other doesn't is how we were going to present this podcast today. Um, <laughs> which I don't been... think.
0: I think probably uh, both don't sing would be the best. If if I'm if my guess is correct, Travis, neither one of us should be singing. Certainly I not know. me.
1: I don't think I should be singing either. <laughs>
0: um, but we have a third voice uh, today, uh, which is really exciting for us. We always like to have guests, and we have a good one today. Um, we are welcoming today Laura Cannon from the Fem- uh, Fatal Femmes podcast. Uh, how are you today, Laura?
2: I'm doing great. Very excited to be here for this one
0: your uh, podcast is really fun. We, uh, we really enjoy it. Um, I know you just did uh, um, American Psycho, which was really great. But um, if you could tell uh, the listeners just a, a quick intro of yourself in your podcast, I think that would be great. Most of them are probably familiar with it, but just in case.
2: Um, yeah. So I co-host a podcast called Fatal Films. We look at mystery, thriller, and horror, Um, mostly films, but we also do TV shows and sometimes other things like we did a musical one time um, that are either female created or the stories are female led. Um, But it's all very focused on either um, telling stories about women or the Uh, creation of it by women so that's one reason we were able to do American Psycho because it was um screenplay was written by women and directed by a woman so um and that's just a really interesting story that like it's such a um kind of like man's story to be told by women um so I loved covering that one um but yeah that's yeah, Brett, Brett Easton
0: Ellis has put his foot in his mouth quite a, quite a bit over the years uh, yeah. <laughs> in regards to uh, the ability of women to tell stories. So it is an interesting fit dynamic that probably his most famous adaptation at this point was um, written, directed, produced by women. Yes. Um. That's awesome. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you here. I am sorry uh, that we weren't able to uh, bring you on for uh, a movie that, that had any murder in it, oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, know, yeah, we'll do our best to, it's um, probably
1: a, a welcome respite.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, it's funny because, um, I also love musicals and while this isn't technically a musical, right. um, it has a lot of musical elements to it. So this like fits into my other interests very well.
0: Yeah, that, that, uh, ties into, to my kind of initial or sort of background of how I came to this movie too, but uh, we'll get into that um, soon. Um, is there any kind of, uh, well, I guess the first question we usually ask our guests is just, uh, I'm so out of practice with guests. You're only our second guest on this season. We used to do them more regularly. <laughs> um, what, what, what is your um, prior experience with Anya Svarda's work and um, how, how have you, how did you come to it? Um, have you come to it at all? Um, is this your your first uh exposure um, and kind of what are your thoughts on on what you've seen to date
2: so i um I had heard of her and always intended to watch some, but it wasn't until I heard um, another podcast talking about Cleo from five to seven. And it sounded really great, so I watched that one. And then I just kind of stopped there. But when y'all said y'all were going to do this season, I was like, okay, perfect. This is the push I need to really, like, dive into her, especially since it's all on the Criterion channel. It's like, no excuses now. And I have been so pleasantly surprised and enthralled by everything that I've watched so far. I'm not complete yet. I'm still working through it, but from her short films to her features, everything is just thought provoking and beautiful and enchanting. And I've just loved every minute of it so far.
0: That's great to hear. Yeah, no, um, we're, we're not complete either yet. Um, so (laughs) you're in good company. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it, it is a um, quite a quite a journey and a opening up of a world, I think. Um, and yeah. and this movie again, just watching, um, you know, the the supplemental feature um, on the making of the movie that was included um, on uh, on the disc and is also on the channel. Just sitting with. Varda and watching and just listening to her talk is such a pleasure. Um, I could just <laughs> do that all day. Um, it's really, uh, fun to just get into her head and, and to, um, to hear the kind of casual nature with which she's able to, um, unpack her own work and the, the context, uh, you know, the social context around it is just, um, it's a, a breath of fresh air, I think, in, in comparison to some of the other filmmakers that we've covered and also just filmmakers in general, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The listening, lis- watching that documentary uh, and listening to her and watching her process on set um, and seeing the the crew she's assembled and how diverse it is, it, it's, uh, it's an absolute joy. Um, I don't know if you have the standalone Criterion edition of this, but... There is a recreation of the program notes that she released, uh, at the opening of the movie. Oh, wow. Um, It's super cool. It has like her artist, like an artist statement and uh, introduction to the characters and interviews. And, uh, she has some really nice, uh, tidbits of information in there that I didn't read in any of the other parts, which was, uh, which was kind of nice. So if you get an opportunity to find it online, it was, uh. It was super cool to, you know, speaking of uh, listening, getting to her head and listening to her talk so eloquently about her own work, which is a breath of fresh air when most directors don't want to ever revisit themselves, except when they're making movies about themselves later in their lives.
0: Right. And this is the first movie that she produced herself, right, of, of her mm-hmm. films. Um, yes. So this is, yeah, this kind of pointed the way forward for the rest of her career in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, this is the second movie in her cinema, Tamaris, uh, production company as well, I think.
0: Was it the, the short was the, it was, it was just a short, the I women, think, women reply or.
1: Yeah. Women reply was the first one, but this is our yeah. first feature in that, in that vein.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean the, we, we are going to discuss the, um, the short, uh, that is kind of similar to the, um, fiance's, uh short from Cleo is kind of it's not inserted into the film but it is referenced at one point in the film um but I think we can kind of talk about it in context with the rest of the movie um so let's just launch into to one sings and the other does not I'm eager to hear uh everybody's um reactions to this um Laura what what were your thoughts on on this movie
2: I <laughs> I was completely entranced by this movie. Um, at first, I was slightly put off by the the running time because I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be a little bit longer. I'll have to settle in for this one. But once I started it, I was all in. Um, I love the characters. I love the way that it's shot. Um, I love the music. I love how weird some of the <laughs> scenes like mm-hmm. like this um musical that she's writing is just bizarre and i absolutely love it and then like the scenes where they're out in you know the french countryside performing these songs that are just just a little odd but <sighs> everybody seems cool with it i i loved i just I love it. This is one of my favorite discoveries of the year so far. Um so I'm I'll just gush through this whole episode. That's <laughs>
1: awesome. <laughs> oh. yeah, what I'm do you just, think, Travis? I I I'm right in step with Laura there. I love this movie. I thought it was uh I also was kinda like, okay, I'm gonna settle down for a french movie about abortion and usually you hear those words you're kind of going okay this is going to be i'm going to get through this and this is going to be worth it and good but uh it is so it has such a light touch and it's the messaging is there but it's it's usually only present in the lyrics of the songs that's where the real strong messaging lies which is fantastic the best way to i've always been able to remember information is in song so now i know all kinds of things because of the the music in this movie and uh i i agree i think some of the best cinematography that we've had up to date so far uh some really beautiful um cross imaging i like the individual arcs of the characters and how they weave and connect with each other throughout and i enjoyed how it Anya Varda is the bridge between those two characters as Mm -hmm. the voice of the narrator so it has a it has a really kind of it still flirts a bit into her documentary side which she enjoys and you can probably you know knowing that she did a bunch of research talked to a bunch of ladies uh who have had abortions in the past being so involved with the movement um she's probably injected many stories and many uh personal details into the, uh, into the movie itself. And, um, it just, it feels so nice to be in this world for two hours. Like when it's over, you're kind of like, Oh, i just, I can hang out with them just playing musical instruments and their bohemian little lifestyle and love every minute of it. It was, a uh, it was, uh, it was really something that I enjoyed a lot.
0: Yeah, when I um, first uh, saw this, uh, was after um, Criterion released it, it was hard to see um, previous to that in the US. Um, and <clears throat> I was pretty excited about it, uh, primarily based on Varda's description of it as a feminist musical, it just sounded very, I guess it reminded me a little bit of like Ackerman's musical in the in the 80s. And um, like I just, you know, kind of was ready to get on that wavelength. And I think the, the fact that it didn't sort of live up to that, like two, two word sell <laughs> was like confusing to me. It was like, wait, I was expecting like a sort of light as air musical, not, not like this, you know, sort of kind of pretty epic, uh, drama wow. about these two women and their relationship. Um, and I really loved the movie and was moved by it, but I think I wasn't able to fully connect with it. Um, just because that happens sometimes when you have the wrong expectations going into a movie, um, this time watching it, uh, I think I was just even more moved, um, at the end of this. I, this is one of those movies. It kind of reminds me of, um, Edward Yang's film, Yi in a little, a little bit, which is even longer than this, but, um, there's this sense that you've just lived an entire life with these Mm. people and the ending is so moving that i just kind of have to sit for like 15 minutes when i'm finished with this and you know have a little cry and just like think about you know the potential for these characters what they're going to um experience for the rest of their lives and i think obviously like the profound nature and we'll get to it but just of ending with a shot of her daughter um in her real life daughter is just um very powerful um and it's i think remarkable considering the fact that the majority of the movie is is pretty light like considering like you said it's there are themes of abortion there's a suicide at the beginning um you know there's there's obviously like Mm -hmm. a, a breakup of a relationship um multiple times so you know there there's not really any reason for it to feel as light as it does and yet i think varda is able to um you know through kind of just sheer willpower um create this um celebration of these women's lives and of the abil- ability for them to live the lo- types of lives that they want to live um i think it's it's um uh, you know i i thought it was a solid film but i think through this experience of rewatching it i think it's one of her best movies
1: yeah there's such an assuredness to how she's handling all the material that i think only can come from someone who's lived most of the experiences that these women are having um yeah you know it is like you said it's heavy there's you know one woman uh, Suzanne finds out, you know, through a botched abortion, she can never have children again. Um, you know, the other one, uh, Palm, has to end a relationship amicably and to continue her life of freedom has given one her child to her husband to move away to Iran to kind of make things right and to it. It's there's lots of heavy like that alone that 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 one act alone of giving up your child to continue your life is like an entire genre of hallmark movie that <laughs> like <laughs> you know that they can make a whole meal out of just that one thing and that's just one part of an of a, an extraordinary life that uh that she leads so it is uh it is quite astounding that the amount of you know 10 years of information and relationships and thoughts and ideas. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually quite it, the scale of it is, was a lot bigger than I thought going into it. And I was pleasantly surprised at how, uh, how well she handled the entire flow of time. And it was, it, it didn't feel at all. Like Laura said, it, it, it felt, you know, it, it just went through like you were in and you didn't want to leave and there was nothing, uh, nothing holding you back. And it was, uh, it was, uh, magical.
2: I do have to say that as much as I love this film, it is sobering um, with Mm. what's going on um, in a lot of countries, but especially in the U S since that's where I am and I'm in Texas, which adds a whole other layer. But the fact that the fight and what they are fighting for in the film is something that we are still fighting for. So I think, That was one of the reasons that I connected to it because it's like, oh, they're going through this and we're still going through this. So as beautiful and as light and as wonderful as it is, like y'all were saying, there is a lot of heavy subject matter in it. In addition to the fact that we're still in the same place that we were when this film was made. (laughs)
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's one of the strengths of of Varda's work and of this movie, um, in particular that, you know, when, when this movie came out, it was often slammed for its optimism, you know? Um, and I, I think that there's definitely a case to be made that it is a very optimistic film. I think Varda bakes that into her movies very consciously in order to try to, I mean, and she said it specifically. She said, you know, if I make an uh, angry militant feminist movie, it's going to be seen by 5,000 people. Um, but if I, you know, try to make a movie uh, for everybody that's more positive or at least is leaning towards the concessions of to, towards the mainstream, I have a chance of, of at least getting people to think about uh these issues on a broader scale um but i think the movie you know also carries that gravity and the sense mm-hmm. of like this is sort of only the beginning of this struggle um really well uh, and i i think you know that final moment um can be seen equally as uh, a moment of doubt and saying, you know, what is the world that we're going to be passing on to our daughters, and what are our daughters going to have to to deal with when they're our age, when they grow up into being adults and have to assert their own rights uh, in this world? What is that going to look like? Um, and I think that's part of ha- why the movie is so moving, because I mean that that's part of life that's part of the struggle of life and recognizing that i think makes it all the more celebratory when they are together and they're able to kind of you know forget for a few minutes the the struggle that they're in the middle of yes
1: yeah that the form it's a it's that it's that concept of for the forming of a family like you don't have a family that uh supports you and 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 as you grow older basically what you're doing is making a new family whether it's with a spouse or a a significant other or making your own you know your children or finding friends that become your your support network and um just the concept of these two women who are both uh one self self-imposed casting off and one kind of uh you know her parents are icily cold they're just that that whole that whole time at the farm with Suzanne is just brutal just having you know go get your bastards tell them soup's ready it's like oh my god lady get over it <laughs> please please allow your daughter to you know accept that your daughter's back and uh but uh what I was saying is uh just having these uh these these two young women kind of forming a friendship and then building a, uh, a, uh, that, that social structure that allows them to have that ability to have hope, to have dreams, to have uh, a lifestyle in which um, everyone deserves. Um, It, it does like Varda's movies, do tend to be hopeful they 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 seem to be uh, poignant but also hopeful at the end and it is sad because you can watch that you can watch the end of this movie and come out a different way every time depending on what's going on in the world and knowing that it's still an ongoing fight like 50 years after this movie's made is it's just it's it's ridiculous um you know that idealized idea that idealized way of thinking about the future that uh that hopefulness about it makes makes the movie feel like a a little bit of a sting at the end you know i think you said matt you know and then take that 15 minutes to just have a breath and cry a little bit and you know hope for (laughs) hope that you know, and, and work, work at trying to uh, make the uh, future a better place as much as, uh, the people did in this film.
2: Yeah. it It is nice though, to have films that are hopeful, um, because so often, especially with women's stories, there can, they can be really depressing and down and it's like, yeah, yeah, we know that, um, like, one of the examples that I have is Promising Young Woman. I was so excited about that film. And then it really fell flat for me because it was like, oh, no, this is not what I wanted to see. I know this happens. I know guys get away with stuff. I wanted to see yeah, kind of a revenge thing. So it's nice that this film is hopeful because it's like, oh, yeah, I know that there are struggles. I know that this story could have been told in a different way that would have been probably more realistic and would have been so hard to watch and would have left you feeling terrible sometimes it's just really nice to see that a story where things kind of work out and it's not that the film leaves you just floating on cloud nine or anything but it it's you don't feel terrible when you're done with it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's nice that that's the second time um, Promising Young Woman has been trashed on this season. So um, (laughs) I'm excited for that, that trend to continue. Um, No, I think you're totally right. I mean, like, you know, I think probably when, if somebody says abortion movie to me, I think of four months, three weeks and two days, Mm. which, you know, is, is a, is a harrowing, uh, extremely well done movie, but it is probably the most depressing movie I've ever seen. Like a, That movie destroyed me for like a year after I watched it. Um, and, you know, not ever, I mean, I think there's a place for that for sure to sort oh, of yeah. shake people out of their um, kind of complacency around this issue and really start to understand what, you know, what does that actually mean if abortion is illegal? What does it mean to the people who have to, to, you know go through that process um but at the same time i think the fact that this movie is at once a movie that depicts um you know uh, multiple abortions without apology and yet is also a celebration of motherhood without apology uh is a, a extremely important thing for people to understand and you know i think that comes back to the title of one sings the other doesn't like there is so much buying there are so many binary choices that women are forced into in this society and the fact that i think what anyway my my takeaway from this movie is that varda is saying that there shouldn't they shouldn't be forced into those binary choices that there's a number of ways um, to live your life. And that uh, true kind of liberation for both men and women is the freedom to choose what you want to do and that you don't have to fit into any particular definition of what a man or a woman is or how you're supposed to live your life. And I think that duality is reflected throughout the movie Um, but, but I think most, most importantly in that idea of, you know, is a, is it, is a woman, somebody who should have the freedom to have an abortion or is a woman, someone who should be proud to be a mother? Like that's a false choice that she, I think very clearly rejects in this movie. And I think that's sort of a powerful statement. That's not often made in movies about abortion or about motherhood for that matter.
1: and, and the time period in which it was made uh, as well. That's I mean, I'm sure that must have uh, rankled a bunch of feathers, uh, just having such a strong statement about those things. I think she says in one of her interviews that, uh, or maybe it was one of, uh, one of the interviews I read in the the varda interviews book that we've been kind of using as our primer while we're watching these movies uh she said something along the lines of you know she showed this movie and a distributor came up to her and she's like oh i i turned this movie off as soon as a mom gives away a child this is unrealistic and something i don't want to have to deal with and just you know i don't want to just distribute this movie at all and you know it's just such a you know, for, a forced, uh, a, you know, like you were saying, binary choice. You have a forced uh, perspective of what, what, what a woman's role is in society and what what you can and can't do. And so to have this movie out in, was it 1975? Um, you know, just even the mention of, like, sperm, like on, on screen in regards to talking about, you know, having children, like or creating children is, uh, I'm sure it, it was, you know, considered distasteful or, or too much. And, you know, it's, it's so forward thinking in terms of what it's setting out to do. I mean, going back to kind of like, we were talking about having it be, have a hopeful ending, um, or just, you know, have a feel good feeling throughout, even though there's difficult choices and difficult scenarios. I mean, we had a whole generation of women's pictures that basically the woman was always punished because for whatever choices they made as long you know, unless it was to fall into those roles of being a good housewife or, you know, having the children and leading the life or, you know, uh, you had women's pictures that were just constantly filled with uh, women being punished for their choices, whether it was sexual liberation or child out of wedlock. And it's so nice to see a film that um, lets lets these characters make choices make mistakes uh have some regrets but not dwell on them and make it part of their you know their entire energy throughout the rest of the film you know reconnect with themselves have like this this little length of this film gives it the space to be able to have these um arcs uh reach you know very satisfying uh conclusions because You know, that that amount of time is needed for people to heal, to fix, to correct, to make the kind of choices that lead them to other choices later in life. And I think that's that's my favorite part of this film is just the fact that, you know, there's these just these two women who were able to uh, be weak and vulnerable sometimes, be super strong other times to make make very bold choices or, you know, be very clear about what they want uh, when they get to when they get to that point in their lives where they've realized what they want what they need and always have each other to rely on even though they're not next to each other they're always relying on each other through just their short little notes and messages and postcards that they're sending to each other knowing that there's someone out there that kind of has this has their back whether they're there or not is you know it's a uh, it's refreshing
2: there are several things things that you said that I completely agree with and I will address a couple of them real quick one is how this movie takes time because I love that that it doesn't rush and while yeah there are bits that probably could have been cut out to make it move a lot faster I love that it does take the time it lets you go on the journey and live with the women and there are discoveries that you can make because it didn't have to be edited to move faster. Um, I was thinking about that today when I was doing a rewatch. Um, and I another thing that really stands out to me in what you were talking about was it would have been really easy... To make these two characters like opposites, like, oh, there's Suzanne, who's the mother, and then um, Apple, who uh, she very easily could have been the one that's like, oh, I'm not having children, no conventions for me. But she gets to have that journey of deciding, oh, I do want to be a mom. I didn't at that point, that wasn't the right time for me, but now is, and I got married, but that wasn't right either. So she gets to, you know, try out things in her life and see what works and see what doesn't. And if the film didn't take the time, then she wouldn't be able to have that journey.
0: Yeah. I think too, like the fact that they aren't like immediate opposites, um, sort of allows them to, to feel so much more like real characters and, uh, real people and and i think that helps because you know i think uh, a sort of more blunt director would have baked in the, the political message the sort of made it so much more overt the idea of like you know this working class woman who gets uh she was she's not married but she gets roped into this relationship and has kids super young and then there's this like uh, you know, more well-off, uh, woman who is a free thinker and is, you know, a singer. And it's like, so uh, it's so very clearly in, in somebody else's hands, uh, could have been a more blunt message of like, look, if we can all, all just like recognize that we're all women and, and we're working across, uh, you know, social, uh, lines and income lines and background lines, um, which, you know, great message but I don't think it makes for a good movie um in the way that that this does and I think ultimately um that that rankled a lot of people at the time because the movie wasn't able to kind of fit into whatever their um ideological perspective was in a neat way um and you know I mean the 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 response to this film at the time I read some of the kind of contemporaneous um reviews both um from Europe and, uh, from, uh, the U S when it was, um, played at the New York film festival, um, were very clear, very clear, I guess, like me, when I first watched the movie, bringing assumptions to the movie about what the movie was about and were not able to reconcile their own perspective, uh, with whatever it should have been with what the movie was. And I think, uh, Varda very rightfully uh was not afraid to attempt to dig into the reality and truth of these characters and not worry about whether it was going to you know not be ideologically pure whether it was from a mainstream perspective or from a radical perspective
1: yeah like uh, you can see the alternate script for this in which you know uh, apple is the cautionary tale and the other one oh, yeah. is seek seeking out the kind of uh, stability of a family life and you know surprise her husband's cheating on her and then they you know find each other later as one nurses the other you know you've seen that movie before <laughs> and you could easily see that that you know that's in, in certain hands that would definitely be a, a very easy and uh, you know the same way to get that message and goes right back into the trappings of a, you know an early woman's picture in which you know someone has to pay for uh, right. someone else's freedom but uh I think uh I think going back to kind of like varda injecting herself in here I think there's a lot of um her personal uh just her personal life or personal perspectives that I think uh make this so far i mean I know later in her career every one of her movies is about her. Um, and what she's doing, and what she, her perspectives on things, but uh, this one as a narrative feature is the first like one that really feels like this is her personal voice. I mean, even the two characters um, they repre- they represent sides of Varda as a as a person. You know, you have you have this uh, you know young mom of two children. You have a free spirited artist type. Um, you know, and they're kind of It's almost like she's you know spooling out to see play out like what her life would be like on this track or this track Mm -hmm. or you know one's dating another artist and uh, you know she's been married to another film director at the same time at that point and so it's you can really feel like there's a lot more of her personal in this film um you know she was one of the uh the 300 that signed the uh We've all had abortions. Uh, uh document that they sent to. Uh, that they sent to. I don't know how. France I think it was will. published in a in a Pu- left left leaning paper. Okay, yeah. there we go. I was say I have no idea how France works. Prime ministers. <laughs> or I was, was going to say something. I'm like, well, they don't have a president. What are you talking about? Or do they? Uh? Anywho, uh, yeah. So she the chief of France. The chief. That's <laughs> the mater d of France. They were taking care of everything. Um, but uh, just the fact that you know all this is such a personal story for her to tell because i didn't know until i watched this movie and listening to her talk about it that between between her first daughter and her second child um, she had an abortion as well Mm -hmm. so because it wasn't the time or the place to have another child and she had made that choice and it's uh it makes the it makes the Apple story resonate a lot more knowing that the director is, you know, is approaching all this subject matter from a very personal perspective, which I think is what helps take the brings the hopefulness and, or the warmth or the lightness to it, because I'm also one of those people that within tragedy, I look for the humorous or the light things that kind of help, get you through things and so you know having a character that's uh you know organizing a boat trip for all the uh all the ladies who are just getting out of their procedures uh to just kind of help you know make this about something more than you know this uh, important decision or that they've made is uh is absolutely uh it's a nice touch it's it's what gives the film such a You know, that whole section has a bit of a dreamlike quality of just lazily floating down a river and singing a song about their choices and stuff like that is uh, is a beautiful touch.
2: It really is. I love that scene so much. Um, But that is realistic. People do stuff like that, even though it's filmed in a dreamy quality and, you know, she's singing the song. When you're going through things like that, you decide to go on a sightseeing trip or something um and i think that that does while it's a weird combination of the i feel like the movie is very grounded and at the same time um there are bits that feel kind of i don't fairy tales not the right word but like on the boat where she is in song but yet it is a very real thing that people do I don't know I I love how she weaves that together like oh this is something that's slightly mundane and then we're going to throw this song in and just elevate it
0: yeah it's kind of like that I mean the 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 sequence in Iran is uh you know yes obviously shot like postcards um and there is sort of a uh fairy tale quality to that sequence as well until reality breaks through obviously yeah
1: i love um, that that's like that that's like that vacation thing where you go on vacation you're like oh i could live here this would be yeah. the best <laughs> and then later it's like oh what was that this no that was just a bad idea i was yeah. only i was only vacationing i wasn't thinking of reality and uh when reality yeah. sets in it's uh it's uh rough
0: and i think that's that iran sequence also ties into what you're talking about travis because i do wonder like you know obviously she split uh separated briefly from her husband after this movie and moved back to um, los angeles for a time um you know how much of of her relationship with her husband is in that relationship and her potentially um developing feeling of, of distance from him. Um, you know, I, I, I can't presume to know that the specific details of what is happening in their relationship is specific to Varda and to me, but certainly something was brewing. So it felt, it felt very personal to me. Um, and, you know, regardless of whether, uh, the use of Iran as like a, locale of uh misogyny is um uh, a little bit um, or you know a little piece of orientalism from from varda like there is a very clear sense of you know reality poking through in in that sequence um and you know apple having a little bit of cold water thrown on her fantasy of you know what her life can be and what what the potential is Uh, just to to back up there um curious to get your thoughts both of you on um jerome and his photographs and just kind of that whole sequence um just because you know i've read a couple of different takes on it um but i'm just curious i guess my first question is just like do you guys like those photographs do you think that they're good (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh they are they are of a type, i guess uh they're not they're not the kind of photographs i I mean just the fact that his whole idea of true photography of capturing a a person it's not even a person a woman he, there's no male photographs in that store um there's no i mean besides pictures of children, there's no men in any of the photographs. It's, you know, that idea that I have to wear them down until I see their true selves, which are all sad and yeah. like it. it's just a it's just such a, a bleak viewpoint of life to begin with. And then an even worse viewpoint of just women in general you know just this idea that you know oh no so they're always putting up a front but then you know when i take my photographs of them i just wear them down until you see the true them which is they're just miserable and they're sad and they don't like their lot it's like that's a reflection of you dude you're horrible (laughs) like obviously and then it's it's apple who who stands up there and says no i'm not I'm not fucking playing your game. I'm not gonna be the victim here. I'm gonna just be proud of who I am and give you, you know, and throw it at you. You're not gonna wear me down because I see right through you. And then, you know, obviously that totally shakes his worldview and his idea of how things work, and sets sets everything on course to uh to uh, the tragedy that ensues when he decides to take his own life.
2: The fact that he says she's either too proud or I'm too weak it just mm. kind of tells me all I need to know about him um yeah I I don't think the photos are bad but the idea that you have to wear someone down <laughs> um it kind of makes me think of like Kubrick and his directing yeah. style mm. um it's like yeah obviously when you wear someone down, they're not going to be in a good place. Yeah, so they're, they're not tired. yeah, going to yeah. look happy. And it's kind of like, Oh, no wonder you're not selling any of those portraits. Yeah. Um, Suzanne says that they're usually broke, but it's like, well, it probably wasn't that fun of an experience. So you might not want to buy it and remember that.
0: Um, yeah he says that uh, she says that he he gives away most of his his photos yeah it's interesting though because they they are used in the credits that's the thing that 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 grabs me it's like i guess i wonder like about that choice like what
1: well it almost om- it almost feels like a bait and switch right it's almost yeah like totally litmus test for you the viewer You're like oh look at these beautiful photographs of these women and look how you know you're seeing these women with uh distressed eyes and haggard looks and you know partially nude and exposed and you're kind of if you're a, a man in the 70s you're probably like yeah and <laughs> you know you're kind of like and that's then exactly
0: when, that's that's how men in the 70s exactly they are just like yeah, yeah. about everything <laughs>
1: they like said groovy or you know held their thumbs up a lot um but uh just that idea that you know you're kind of you're kind of setting an expectation it's it, it it she's done this in all the films at this point she's given us something that summarizes or turns an expectation on its head within the first few minutes after the introduction uh, you know I'm thinking of yeah. uh, Lake Creatures and uh, uh, yeah, Cleo yeah, totally. so having these photographs are you know, just as the as the first thing we see, it kind of puts you, the viewer, into a mindset, and uh, hopefully your expectations can be, uh, because you know the movie starts with these photographs of these women, and then the movie ends with photographs of women, but they're a completely different type of photograph. They're these memories, yeah. they're their fondness and joy mm-hmm. and happiness and messy points, and it's it's absolutely a more of a celebration of of uh of life at the end versus yeah. the beginning which is kind of like cap- capturing you know it's that idea of like capturing a photograph it's like capturing these women in these their most vulnerable and uh ex- and trying to exploit them and then at the end i mean even with suzanne's husband uh he's an yeah. amateur photographer right and, and it's, it's like having her arc yeah. turn to a point where there's this person who she loves who's taking her photograph again in a, in a in pure joy like the fact that he's capturing her in her most beautiful and happy and smiling and like out in nature instead of in some dark void um it's a complete different uh perspective to see it's almost like it's a almost like a redemption and a reconnection to that idea of her photograph being taken because I could, bet you that between those years of, uh, when she was sitting and posing for photographs and when she met her, her, podiatri- uh, her pediatrician husband, there's probably not a lot of photographs of her in between. Cause I bet you that has been turned off completely for her, uh, in all those years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, it's a really cool, um, method of, uh, of, uh, engaging the viewer and also for Suzanne's story arc. Yeah, I like yeah, that.
2: I do too. I hadn't thought about the fact that the guy that she ends up marrying is an amateur photographer. Um, I it just cuz by the time I got to that point I wasn't thinking about the guy in the beginning. Um, but I like that a lot. Yeah, it's also, nice
1: because it's like she it's like what she says, uh, you know, as soon as that was over, I forgot about it like like Apple. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I try not to remember that at all. And it's almost like so much like going back to our love of the uh, amount of time spent here. It's like, you know, you forget about that guy by the time you get to the, you know, when I started again this morning and we started there again, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot that guy was in this movie. I thought this was like a, a fun road trip movie going through all the countries <laughs> and singing songs like a weird, like a alternate universe version of the Wicker Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It is interesting to me, um, I was, as y'all were talking, it just kind of dawned on me that the photographs is what brings them together because she sees Suzanne's photograph and goes in to find out about her. But they're both kind of trapped at that point. Like, Suzanne is trapped with Jerome. Even though she loves him, it's still not a great environment and um, Apple is trapped with her family and in a life that she doesn't really want. And his death kind of sets them free in a way, even though it is bad for Suzanne to go back to her family. Um, You know, that he tries to capture the sadness and the hurt and the realism of the women in his photographs and that's such a kind of dark beginning and then they're they're set free after that.
1: Yeah, having having Suzanne go through go through that relationship and then go back to her family as her only option cuz it's almost kind of in a you know, it it's it's not there on the uh, in the text but it's almost an abusive relationship right separating her away no friends you take care of the yeah. kids you have no job you're there at my women beck and call when I feel like I, I need a model you're my model um, but otherwise I'm gonna go see other women and take pictures of them too and then going home to her family who have also you know disowned her basically or only doing it out of who knows what reason just to make her feel bad about herself some more. And then her finally getting the, the spark to be like the only person that's going to rescue me is myself. I need to, I need to make, make a life for myself and for my two children who, you know, are the world to me at this point. And so it's, uh, it's as, as tragic as that all is, it's the, you know, it's like you were saying, it's like the, the, the moment that, propels her forward in her story and it's uh and it it works so well because it it ties into what she what she teaches herself to be as a professional and then what she what vocation she chooses um for the rest of her life it's uh it relates completely to her own her own story and it's and the idea that she wants to help others kind of achieve these uh um so she just they don't have to go through the same thing she went is a uh is a beautiful character touch for her too yeah
0: the other thing i really like about um the beginning sequence of this is that um it's set in 1962 but varda is just like fuck it like it's 1962 now to just do do your regular dress your regular way <laughs> <laughs> like there's no like i was watching um another uh deeply feminist film uh captain marvel the other day (laughs) and (laughs) um you know they go back uh into like 1990 into the 1990s uh in that movie it's like set in the 90s and you know that it's set in the 90s because uh she crashes into a blockbuster video and there's like um you know nirvana's playing and she's wearing like a stone temple pilots t-shirt you know what i mean like it's just yeah. like they basically could have just put on the screen like this is set in the 1990s and like bold graphic type through the whole thing <laughs> and that you would have gotten the same effect here varda is just like you believe that this is 1962 so let's just like call it 1962
1: They did a great job with the, uh, with the, the ladies when it came to aging them as they go, because nothing, nothing really changes in terms of their, their appearance, except for their hairstyles, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. Cause well, and the costumes too. I mean, like, yeah, there's just
0: the way they carry themselves. Like it is pretty interesting that it's not like, yeah, I mean, there's no old person makeup or anything like
1: that. Or, Or the aging techniques.
0: Yeah.
2: But it works so well. I fully believe it.
1: Totally. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece of acting from the two actresses too. They, their whole bearing changes as they, uh, as they move throughout their lives. Though some of the weight yeah. and some of the the lightness that gets removed as their weight gets removed is uh, super present. It's it's uh, they do a fantastic job with that. I think I think I caught one today. Uh, I think on a rewatch. Someone says something along the lines of, oh, she shows the date in one of the kind of intertitles. And then there's a calendar on the wall that says it's 1977 or
2: something.
1: Oh. <laughs> it's almost like a complete, like, whoops, we forgot to change the calendar, uh, which made me laugh. And I was just like, oh, that's so that's so wonderful.
0: I love it when little things like that happen. It's funny, too, because, um, like, she was so obsessed in Cleo with making all the clocks yeah. correct. Yeah. Even, like, in the distant background outside. Um, but I think in this, this, I I mean, I think part of that is just a reflection of her maturing as a filmmaker, but also, like, she was so confident in the world that she was creating here that it's not important, kind of, you know, you, there, there's obviously, like, the the famous abortion case that they're protesting um when they uh you know reconnect um is a very specific moment in time um but the rest of the film it, it's it's about these people's lives it's not about the the history of france or wow. you know what they were wearing or listening to at the time it's not that's not important what what's important is the these moments these sort of you know signposts along the way of their life and and those lived in moments, like you're saying, Laura, like it's not even necessarily about, oh, then I got married, then I decided to have a child. It's, it's also about their kind of day-to-day real experiences.
2: I really love that with the postcards, how they said, oh, we're gonna write long letters to each other. And then they just send little, you know, short postcards here and there. And one review I was reading said that, that they didn't buy the relationship. Like, why would these two women be friends? They didn't have anything in common. And I don't know. That just seems like something that is real to me. Like, you're busy in life. You have this friend that... Because you have friends that it's kind of like, ah, I don't know why we're particularly friends right now, but we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the fact that they don't sit down, it would be more unbelievable to me that they would sit down and write each other these really long letters because you're a single mom working. Apple does not seem like the type of person that would sit down and write like a five page letter or something. So it's just so beautiful that they keep in touch that way. And then we, as the audience get the additional narration to fill in the gaps, um, both from the characters and then from the narrator. I just really love the way that that was used.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, I don't know, I guess I just feel like we all have those friends that, you know, you aren't necessarily calling up every week to, to have hour long conversations or, yeah. uh, you know, chatting on, google chat or facebook or whatever you whatever you use like every once in a while you send something funny over a text or Mm -hmm. you know you send an email about something or other but once you are in the room with that person it seems like you never run out of things to say and you know you it feels like you just saw them the day before to me that that i because i read some of those same comments and it, it just felt very odd to me that anybody would take <laughs> issue with that like it to me it was an extremely believable um re- relationship that that they had and and quite moving i thought
1: yeah that and like having something so uh, traumatic happen to them in their younger years that That'll always bond people together for a very long time. Just that idea that, you know, she was there for her at her at her at her one of her worst times. And then they were both there to, you know, to witness something very traumatic. And that's an instant bonding that that, just that idea. Yeah, Yeah, I don't I don't understand that concept that, you know, their friendship scenes like uh, on, you know, why would they be friends? I mean, there's moments, there's moments later in the film where they're just existing in the same room together. And there's that comfortable silence that you have with someone you've known for a very long time, or, you know, very well, or someone you love where you don't need to fill the space with talking. And they're just kind of like doing their own thing, but just in the same space. And that's really what they want is just to have being each other's presence. Um, that's absolutely beautiful. And and the fact that, you know, you know, they didn't go for any sort of cheapness of a romantic kind of like, you know, making this about like what they really found is that they loved each other. You know, like nothing, yeah. nothing cheap like that. You know, it is truly a friendship to women who, who, uh, who know that they're going to be there for each other even, you know she comes back to specific i love the i love the phrase that they they use it a few times which is uh um we'll have uh we'll have your baby and then we'll have fun we'll have fun raising the baby together and then you know uh orchid and the uh, the the band orchid and her have the baby on the road and then they have fun raising the baby together i'm like i don't remember it being so much fun but
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Especially i guess I, I guess you could have fun if you're
1: if you're being the eternal
0: optimist i guess the, you know the memories of it are fun but sometimes when you're in the moment man, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think somebody named apple probably doesn't have a lot of fights about bedtime <laughs> <laughs> no not at all well, That's what i
1: was thinking that when you were talking about her being so particular about the clocks and cleo and now that she's a mom and all the kids are running around on set and the set seems so kind of like, yeah. you know, everyone's playing music while you're in between takes and setups. I'm like, yeah, you don't, you really don't have the attention to detail when you're just letting everything be so loose like that. You can't, you can't have it anymore. So, oh, but and I love uh, that it's all moment feeling in the,
0: yeah, I love that moment in the, in the interview uh, with her where uh, Matthew comes into the scene, the, the shot and just starts you know being a toddler basically like screwing around and she says you know uh i love that that happened because when you know you're interviewing a male director and they're just sitting in their office and they're very serious and you know like somewhere there's a wife or a nanny or uh, somebody taking care of the kid and like they're out of view and there's no conception that family and work would ever be joined and you know i think even just the fact that she lived and worked in the same place was a symbol of her commitment to unifying those Mm. two worlds um and you know making them seamless uh sort of in the same way that she attempted to do that with documentary and fictional filmmaking um she didn't want there to be this divide between you know what people experienced in one place and what they experienced in another place um yeah laura you mentioned the the music i'm curious to hear more of your thoughts about that because um i you know i think <laughs> It's not, it's not my favorite <laughs> music that I've ever heard like I but said, I think you know the the lyrics are uh, uh, who were, which were written by Varda are pretty fascinating and the way and the staging obviously is is pretty interesting so I'm just curious to hear more of, of what your response to that was
2: Well I definitely want to see a production of the musical that they were preparing <laughs> before she <laughs> goes to Iran um, cuz I am fascinated by it it um seems very bizarre but also feels like something that um i've i've seen some experimental theater in my day and feels like something that would be put on um uh somewhere in the austin area where i live um and i really (laughs) want to see that uh yeah, the songs, and I'm sure it's one of those things that it loses something in translation. Totally, um, yeah. So if I spoke French, um, I would really love <laughs> to be able to hear them the way that they were designed. Um, because they they don't have the flow that I'm used to of songs. Like the lyrics are kind of disjointed and um yeah they're they're not what i would call like great songs but i'm just fascinated by the way that they're woven into the story and the fact that they're also able to make a living doing this um because there's the one scene towards the beginning where they're going to she calls it a gala And they're basically like in a little community center with, I don't know, maybe 50 people in the audience. Um, And then later on when they're traveling around and they're doing the sort of pantomime show where she's sweeping and she's on one side of the stage and he's on the other, it just, it doesn't seem like something you'd be able to make a living doing um but it also seems so real for this story like oh yeah of course they're just this weird 70s girl group going around in rural France um in a van yeah that makes yeah. sense
1: <laughs> it makes total sense yeah i love that i love that idea that you know are how are they making money like they're all just independently wealthy like all their parents are sending them <laughs> checks but it's a uh, yeah no, I love that too. I love the I love how they keep playing with the 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 sound of certain songs like they change the tempo or the rhythm where they mm-hmm. add make it more rock or slow it down, make it more of a ballad but it's the same lyrics I think that's I think that that was fun like just kind of how they how they would showcase different ways of playing the same song. And some of those stage setups are great. The bubble, the bubbles and balloon one. Uh, yes. I, I love that one a lot. I just love the, that concept. Uh, just all these pregnant women on stage uh, with bubbles and balloons floating around. While they're singing. <laughs> was that a... was my
0: favorite song. That was, I, will say, of I agree. Songs. I agree. <laughs> but it was fu- interesting. You know, that woman who kind of, you know, pushed back on the song in many ways, like Varda baked the criticism of her movie that was to come into the movie itself. Mm, um, yes. I guess she was perceptive enough to be able to do that. Um, the The touring reminded me of uh, I just watched a couple months ago My Zatterlings, the girls, uh, which is um, you know was just, Criterion just put it out. Um, it's a movie about a theater troupe that is, um, performing Liza Strada, uh, through like the Swedish countryside, um, and is met with, uh, I would say a mixture of people who are, uh, furious and very bored Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and they, they're just kind of desperately trying to engage in some way with their audience, um, throughout the film. And, uh, I think the the response here is slightly more positive. There are actually, I think, people who who are rather enjoying their performances in this movie, Um, but there are a lot of sort of like befuddled faces, (laughs) like especially when they're performing, I think like in a square at one point they're performing and there's just shots of all of these, you know, sort of different people of different ages and backgrounds standing around watching them. And it is a little bit of like a, Like, oh, like I've seen people like this on TV. I didn't know they existed in real life. This is amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that taking the... uh, Like, seeing that in the city, you're like, yeah, okay, makes sense. And then you see it out in the country. It's like, what, what? And the idea that they're taking these... I mean, they're kind of... I mean, they're not protest songs, but they're not folk songs either. They're such a weird amalgamation of like of different like types of music that it's it's hard to like I think Laura's saying it's hard to put your finger on kind of like what this music is yeah (laughs) because it's like well there's a message in the songs but the tonality of the songs it's very playful Yeah. yeah yeah so just you know having that brought out to the country is uh is uh is uh i think that's getting that message out to the rural areas it's kind of funny because it's you know that's part of that echo you have palm uh, apple going out to the country and having her songs be sung to uh, the people outside of the cities about these uh about women and about women's rights and uh, liberation and then you've got suzanne who's also like outside of the city down in the south of france trying to get ladies to take their take their pill if they want to not have kids and helping them figure out how to get abortions and it's the same idea like taking it out of the into the province the provincial areas to kind of help help these other ladies figure out you know their options and uh I like that I like that as part of that kind of echo of their friendship as well
0: I think that was a really important moment too when when Suzanne is kind of almost forcing the pill on somebody and someone takes her aside and is just kind of like, like, she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to do it. That's the whole point of what you're doing um, to let this person make the decisions for themselves. Um, You know, again, like it, it, it it feels like it's, it's uh, sort of right in line with the message of the movie without feeling polemic or, Uh, didactic in any way like it's very uh natural uh any of those kind of moments or parallels in the film um just feel like something some a part of their lived experience as opposed to you know any sort of statement that anybody's making
2: i thought that was a really great scene because for the reasons that you just said that she does seem to be trying to not force her necessarily, but yeah, impress upon her like, oh, you have to do this. Um, But also they start talking about, I've been fighting for so long. And the woman that she's talking to says, well, maybe you need to fight in a different way. And then they also all, then at that moment kind of come together as a group and are talking about things and it's like oh showing the power of the group versus um, uh, versus just the individual
1: yeah Yeah, it's almost like at that point there because I think later we revisit and it's more kind of like she's doing group therapy as opposed to individually pulling like almost like a doctor's office pulling people aside to have individual conversations it's more of like let's figure this out together i yeah i like that i like that moment because that's a big that's a big step in her in her journey as well because that's when she starts kind of like reflecting on her past and what's what's keeping her from being happy and i think that's when she says at that point after that kind of uh that realization she takes a a sailor as a lover and re re uh, reconnects reconnects with her womanhood her uh she gets her groove back and then uh starts uh thinking about what she wants in life and knowing that she's not going to uh date a married man ever again and kind of gives the pe- gives the pediatrician a uh a, a stern uh a stern uh admonishment of, I'm not, we're not doing this. If you're married, this is not, I'm not doing that ever again. And it's, it's that moment that kind of wakes her up from kind of the same thing, bashing her head against the wall and trying everything from a new, uh, a new perspective.
0: Yeah. I think along with the, the sort of group versus the individual, there's, there is that very real feeling for anybody who is, um, you know, working towards a better world of just, kind of losing perspective on yourself and your self care and on making sure that you are um, you know, approaching things in the, in a healthy way that you want to be going through life. Like you can't sacrifice yourself for whatever it is uh, that you are are fighting for because that's ultimately you're, you're going to end up in a situation where you're not doing what, is best for you or for the cause in, in in general either. So, you know, I think that is an important message. Um, certainly I know people in my life that have had, had to have that message get through one way or another. Um, and, you know, I think again, it just, it's so naturally woven into the story, um, but is so recognizable and relatable. Um, and speaks to varda's overall sort of what message that she's trying to get across in the movie so effortlessly
1: yeah it's crazy to think that you know 1975 it's promoting this idea of self-care as a method of being able to uh, better handle um life's problems you know fixing yourself before you help fix others uh, physician heal thyself kind of idea, because um, I know at that point, you know, I know here in the United States, the, uh, all the, uh, psycho, uh, psychologists and therapy sessions were really a big thing at that point, but I don't know how it was in France at that point, but, uh, um, it is a, it, it's almost like she saw the future and gave the same messaging that we need to hear today (laughs) it's it's crazy how many uh points she brings up without it being like you were saying earlier so didactic uh she brings up lots of points that are really relevant to today um that it's either you know we we all understand that history is cyclical but just that idea that these are still things that we're working on as a as as a humanity um it kind of it's almost like we're hitting our we're suzanne we're just arguing with ourselves and arguing and we need that perspective change drastically to help get out of this uh cycle of uh, of uh, making the same mistakes over and over again
0: One thing I did want to talk about because I, I I agree. I mean, I feel like her her work is extremely um, modern, and you know, regardless of any sort of specific quibbles that people could have with the uh, you know her her perspective on um, womenhood or feminism, um, it it fe- she it feels like she is speaking. Directly in the same way that that uh, you know many of the other great um, female filmmakers of the era, especially Ackerman, was were speaking of of uh, sort of women's roles in society, um, in ways that feel very relevant to today. Um, in ways that, like the more kind of political activists, um, seem more dated. Um, it is interesting to me uh, that this film. Uh, you know similarly to uh le bonheur uh uses what is essentially kind of like a conventional storytelling framework i mean i think it's there it's a little bit more of a hangout movie than like a uh sort of conflict rising conflict resolution kind of structure but nevertheless it is kind of a very accessible film um and i think there are criticisms of this movie and of Varda in general as a quote unquote feminist filmmaker, which I think is kind of a silly way to think about any filmmaker, but um, there are criticisms of her in the sense that unlike somebody like Ackerman or Marguerite Duras, she's layering sort of uh, ideas about womanhood or about femininity or political messages on top of what is essentially a mainstream, conventional cinematic framework, and therefore is less interesting or less successful in terms of conveying her ideas than more adventurous uh, filmmakers from a structural perspective. Uh, I'm I'm probably not giving great shrift to this argument because you may be able to tell that i don't necessarily agree with it but i am curious nevertheless to hear your thoughts on that and just the idea of like can you make a movie within what is sort of conventional cinema framework which of course was constructed um, by men white men in particular with a very male specific perspective, um, that nevertheless, you know, successfully puts forth an idea of, uh, feminism or of, uh, women's equality, regardless of, you know, kind of the, the structure that it's being delivered in.
1: I think, I think, uh, I think that's why this this movie is so successful is because if you if you work primarily on the story, the narrative the characters and you don't make the subject matter didactic I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of those 1960s 70s um, counterculture um, message films don't resonate anymore is because they're so didactic and so overt with what they're trying to say that when you come across something like this movie anyone could watch it and they might not take out all of the messaging that's going on in here but you're gonna get a sense of some sort of reflection of your own life experiences within because there's lots of moments in this movie that you can relate to, regardless of regardless of gender or class. Um, there's there's stuff in here that you can relate because it's coming from a place of almost like truth and honesty in terms of the characters that are living these existences on the film, and I think that's where that's where some of the best and most long lasting films. Um, succeed is because they're focusing on the right thing as opposed to the messaging, which I think that's where people kind of bristle and rankle at uh, some some of those films because they just, you know, you don't like to be told for two hours that you're doing something wrong or this needs to change. People don't like being told what to do. It's it's We've learned that very, very... Quickly during our pandemic, there is a large group of people that just you cannot tell me what to do. No matter what, no matter how bad it's going to be for me, you just can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and so I think that's I think that's why one of the reasons it's that it's that Mary Poppins is that spoonful of sugar that helps uh, get the messaging through that I think is what makes this movie so successful. And I'm sure if I thought about it for a little while I can come up with some other movies that do the same thing I mean I'm sure we all can um I mean I I think that's what you're getting at or asking
2: about I I haven't done research into um how the film structure could possibly lend itself to um sexism or anything like that um so i i can't comment on that per se i know i have been doing some research on like the male gaze and how that plays into films and the fact that people talk about oh uh, well we need to film things from the female gaze but the fact that the language of filmmaking was created by men means that we can't actually film anything from the female gaze um so i'm sure that there is something similar with the structure of a film um but i don't know what that is so what i will say is that um something that she said in the interview that i read um is that by making something that more people will see a more conventional type film means that more people will see it. So you get your message out and by making something that, um, so this is a conventional film in a lot of aspects, but it also does play with that. Like, with the length and the fact that y'all said, there's not really um, a major conflict other than just the characters kind of living their lives. So um, you could say that, you know, the stakes are not particularly high. There's no bad guy to defeat. There's nowhere that we're looking for them necessarily to be at the end of this film, um, it it could have ended a bunch of other places than where it did. Um, and it still would have felt like we got the story. Um, but that the fact that it does play more like a conventional film means that more people would see it. And like you said, nobody wants to just be. Um, berated about a message that's why a lot of those films are taught in school but not necessarily watched by a ton of people that don't you know if you're trying to watch a full filmmaker's filmography or doing it for research that's one thing but just to be like oh, I'm going to put on this film that tells me how I'm doing everything wrong for two hours. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Most people just aren't going to do that. Um, so this does get her message out to more people. And by layering it in there in entertainment, it it kind of does something similar to um, Get Out. Very different movies, but you get your message... Through yeah.
0: your entertainment. Yeah, I think that's a good um, parallel because, um, you know that that the the message isn't just sort of a side component of that movie. It is completely baked into yeah what mm. the entertainment of the film is, um, and I think that's true here. Like the the core entertainment value of this movie is the friendship between these two women mm-hmm. and the lives that they build around each other um and that is ultimately the message of the movie too is you know that the, that there is a commonality and relatability across lived experiences um i mean to me the reason that i kind of don't ascribe to that even though i do think it's very difficult i mean i think captain marvel is a perfect example of Mm. this like there's no way to make you know they 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 lean in so hard on the like guess what this is a woman is a superhero (laughs) isn't that so exciting like it's just there's shots that are so very clearly meant to convey that like societal importance Mm. of just the fact that this is happening and yet the movie is so it could be literally any hero and it would be exactly the same movie there's just no you know uh acknowledgement that anything could possibly be different or more uh you know rich with the addition of uh characters that aren't white men um yeah and i think you know he it, it, it really, at the same time, like you can't uh, give in to this idea that you have to work on the, on the fringes in order to be ideologically successful or ideologically pure. Um, and that really, like, you know, is the same trap that Varda is trying to avoid with this movie in saying that there isn't a binary choice here. And isn't it wonderful that I, as a woman, one of the few uh, well-known female directors, who, by the way, uh, this is her first fully fictional feature film in a decade, uh, (laughs) because she wasn't able to get any of the other scripts that she made, uh, that she wrote, financed, um, that she was able to make this movie the way that she wanted to make it. Um, Regardless of of whether you think that's the right way for women to be making movies or not, that's the way that she wanted to make this movie. It came out the way that she wanted it to be. And like, isn't that great? Isn't that what we're going for in consuming art is to have a more rich experience and diverse perspectives. Um, You know, I think this movie is probably most similar to uh, the Claudia Wilde film, Girlfriends, Um, in the sense of revolving around a female relationship. They're movies that came out within a few years of each other. And that is a spectacular, wonderful movie just like this that there should be a thousand of, (laughs) and there there isn't because there's not the um, financial backing for movies like that to get made. Um, So it kind of, I think for me... I think it's an interesting discussion uh, because ideally there would be more experimentation and structure and execution in films, um, especially sort of big budget films that we're able to see on a broad scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But to criticize one specific movie for not doing that or for not doing it in the way that you want them to do it is just kind of, to me missing the value in artistic expression.
2: Well, and the fact that she had tried for so long to get another fictional film made. um, There might've been a little bit, you know, she might've been a little bit hesitant. You know, you want it to be a success because if it's not, you may not get another one.
0: Yeah. I definitely think that's the case. I mean, I think that was the case with Le Bonheurs, too. Like, I think she's somebody who's very aware of what it takes to make a movie. Um, you know, her first movie she made for a very small amount of money that she did not make back. <laughs> mm. And I think, you know, she never did that again. Her movies always made money um, because she was somebody who, who actually, you know, cared about the artistic process but at the same time like wanted to make movies that people would see and part of that was probably selfish like she wanted to make another movie after this one so she wanted to make sure to take care of the money that she raised um but another part of it was just that that was the kind of filmmaker that she was she wasn't going to go out and make a movie that was like a chantal ackerman movie and vice versa like Ackerman could never have made a Varda movie, and isn't that great? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what what a terrible world we'd live in <laughs> if every filmmaker could make movies just like every other filmmaker.
1: Well, that's the whole, that's the whole uh, that's the whole goal, right? Is that Varda should be should have been able to at some point make a shitty movie and then still have financing to make her yes. next movie because totally. yes. it doesn't matter because that's okay. But they're always it's always uh it's always that they're held to the highest highest standard and if the movie doesn't succeed in any way then there's doubt cast upon their abilities in the future to make anything else or my other favorite trope which is uh uh female directors who succeed in an independent way and then their next project that they are for- they're given to have finance for is always a literary adaptation <laughs> <laughs> it's always some like literary adaptation of like a a, a a feminine heroine of some nature and i I am like don't fall into that trap like <laughs> I was like when Greta Gerwig got a little Women, like don't fall into that trap they all fall into that trap. you gotta get a, gotta you know, get out was... of that. But it was still great. It was still great. I was like, "Dude, I'm glad you bucked the trend." I mean, when you go back and watch (laughs) the movie, no, you're totally right. Yeah, well, no, and then then what happens is
0: it bombs, and then Then, uh, nobody, then you don't get to make another movie.
1: Yeah, and because most of the times, uh, you know, the literary adaptations that some of these women are making are like austere, you know. Corset drama that people don't want to see, and or people do want to see, or they've been seen so many times. You know, Jane Eyre like ten times, or Pride and Prejudice like so many more times. It's it becomes something that's like I don't want to see that. So it's the failure is almost baked into the project to begin with. So it's 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 hard. It, It does become that feeling of trap. I think I. Yeah, I was going through like a list of uh, female directors and kind of like watching their work. And there was always one movie that I'm just like, Ugh. it's like watching Macbeth again. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> do I have to watch another like Bronte sister movie? Like, I know they're good, but I've seen like six. And why does Why do they all have? Why? Why do all? Female filmmakers to secure financing yeah. for their personal project yeah. they want to do next have to yeah. do a Wuthering Heights adaptation or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's it gets it, and you could see that you know throughout history, you could see that kind of uh, happening to a lot of uh, uh, female directors, and it, it's uh, frustrating because then if the movie doesn't succeed, you see a long gap before the next movie, and you know, then Greta Gerwig makes Barbie movie, the next one, it's like throwing <laughs> in everyone's faces. <laughs>
0: she does seem to be bucking the trend in a lot of ways um that's good no i mean i i think like it's true like they you can disappear really quickly i mean to use another terrible uh superhero example like (laughs) patty jenkins made made uh wonder woman like one of the biggest hits in superhero history and that was actually well reviewed and then she made the sequel uh and it wasn't as well reviewed and then they canceled the third movie meanwhile James Gunn makes suicide squad and it bombs and he gets to take over the entire DC universe so yeah you know it's not easy um and I think like it's it it can be frustrating I think when anytime um you know a female filmmaker or in this country a black filmmaker mm-hmm. is held uh, to a standard uh, that is intended to be representative of an entire group of people who you know are barely even knocking on the door of uh the ability to have success um i guess we're going off on on a tangent unrelated (laughs) to the movie here but i do think it's relevant just because i think that is what this movie is about like yeah it's it's about being able to have the options um that you know should be afforded to any person, um, provided that they display that ability and talent. Um, yeah. And it's relative to, something that's not not seen e- it, even today.
1: And it's relative to Varda's career, like she yeah. constantly until until the digital revolution digital, comes later, yeah. and she can have the freedom to do whatever she wants with a camera right. and it doesn't need financing. She just needs to be able to buy some tape stock. Um, that, that's when she truly starts making like a movie a year until almost the end. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, uh, stunning that that's, you know, it's, it's that freedom that allows her to finally be able to be free to do what she tells whatever stories she wants.
0: Yeah. In the nineties, she, you know, she starts to make movies about her husband, you know, that's the way that she gets, gets movies made is with her more famous, husband a male director husband um and you know yeah it, it really what isn't until digital until that she's that she really escalates her her um you know turnaround on these movies um because i mean we're almost we're almost i think we're done with the 70s for her right yeah in 77 this was released in 77 um her next film murmurs was, was in 80 so she, you know she made one i mean nausicaa wasn't released um daguerreotypes was shown on tv i think it did get a u.s theatrical release um but that's two two features in the entire 1970s for who even somebody who even at the time was one of the most famous female filmmakers in the world
2: (sighs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) what else could we have had from her (laughs) it's so true
0: i mean she's i mean yeah i don't know it's funny because i i wonder like she wrote a lot of scripts i'm sure they're out there but it doesn't seem like they they necessarily want to publish them or maybe they weren't as as sort of uh final as um as we might have liked them to be but it is i mean i think i read a list this week five or six movies that she tried to get funding for in between uh this creatures and um and one sings and none of them you know not to mention um peace and love the the uh the the almost made hollywood movie from varda um we we missed out on quite a few quite a few movies uh, that, that you know, just weren't able to, to get over this hump of not being, not being willing to give a female filmmaker money to make her movies. But Godard made like 87 movies yeah. in that time period.
1: And all of them were just the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of some tough to watch stuff, oh, try his 70s films, Able-gazing. um, well, I, I did want to touch on the the short um, really quickly. I don't know if you uh, watched it, Laura. Um, uh, the Is it The Pleasures? What is it? The Pleasures it of Love in Iran. The Pleasures of Love in Iran. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it, Travis?
1: Oh, it was <laughs> it was it almost felt like it was an excised piece from the film after she hit a yeah. two hour running time. She's like, all right. I got to get rid of it. and and it's so funny because I believe that short ran with that movie, oh, <laughs> so no. she got her cake and ate it too. <laughs> well, isn't there? There's an ad for the short in the movie. In the right? movie, and it says playing <laughs> alongside this feature, and it, was, it yeah. just <laughs> makes me laugh for that meta moment. But it's it, it's a uh, you know it's it's it, it harkens back to a little bit of her uh, her travel log type. Uh, shorts that she was making yeah uh, not as playful because I think there is a certain solemnity to the or, uh, to what to what she was filming like there wasn't as much playfulness there was probably not a lot of interaction with the uh, people of the area um, a little bit more about the architecture which makes me laugh because I remember her bristling at the fact that she's got to go make a boring film about boring castles. And so she <laughs> yeah. brought people in to, to make it more exciting. And, uh, so here she is making like, uh, you know, about these, uh, buildings and mosques and, uh, trying to, and linking how sexualized these buildings are with their long spires, right. the the phallic and the spires penises. and yeah. their, uh, yeah. you know, breast type domes and, Um, it was, uh, it was nice six minutes and it was, uh, it felt like it was a part of the film because I even think that the opening and the last shot of the short are the, are actually in the film itself. Um, with just that, with like that moment that happens in between them being, uh, being the short, it was, Hmm. uh, it was good. I I didn't know. It wasn't after, after, after spending so much time with the characters in the feature, The short film, like, it left, like, it was kind of like, nah. (laughs) I prefer, I I like the feature. She should have just left this stuff in. It would have been totally fine. Six more minutes, I totally would have lived in that world for six more minutes.
2: I watched it this morning um, before I did a rewatch of the feature, and I honestly didn't pay a lot of attention to it because I thought, oh, this is in the film, so I'll just see it later. And mm. then when I finished the film, I was like, oh, no, that wasn't actually <laughs> in there. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, same feeling like should have just had it in there, especially because there is a perfect setup for it where they put the f- the title of it and it seems like it's going to cut to that. Yeah. And then it cuts to something completely different. And it's like, oh, that was weird.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first time I watched this, uh, I didn't know that it was connected to the movie. It was just like, I was just like, oh, this is an Agnes Varda short. It's six minutes long. Oh, let me, let me see how this is. And it made no sense. <laughs> Cause like at the end, you know, and I actually really like it's my favorite part of the short where she says, you know, even for even even though they're just characters in a film, um that really does not land if you don't know that they're characters in film. Uh got just to just FYI there. Um and uh, you know, after watching the movie and going back, like it does feel, it feels like a snippet that she sort of cut out and she's just like, oh, I'll just put some vo over this and it's uh fun it's interesting um because yeah it doesn't uh stand it certainly does not stand on its own as a short um but has definitely sort of interesting um provides interesting context i think for the for the movie itself
1: yeah it's it would have i mean if it was Re- reinstated into the film where it belongs it would help explain the disillusionment of apple mm-hmm. as she starts to realize yeah. what kind of place this really is after the uh, shine has worn off of it um of it being exotic and new and fun and interesting um you know that whole the whole section about uh how people are depicted in the, uh, some of the tapestries and some of the mosaics and, you know, it all kind of feeds into that idea that, okay, this isn't, uh, this is definitely not the free and, uh, open society that she had left behind and how, how hard it's going to be to keep her, keep that kind of passion alive here. If she can't, uh, if she's expected to fall into the, uh, the standard, uh, female rules and roles that, uh, that, uh, uh, Iran, uh, is known for at that time. And even now, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was the part though, that it was like, I don't know. France was probably pretty bad in the seventies. Oh. and <laughs> It's probably not that great now. So, you know, I mean, I get it. Like I'm not, you know, obviously like Iran, is an extremely problematic society at the, uh, at the moment and even before the revolution. Um, but like, it felt a little bit like, oh, and look how bad it is. Like it was, it was almost use using this culture as, uh, to make a point as opposed to sort of honestly engaging with it. And I got like, uh, my, that feeling that I had watching that, was kind of underscored by the comments that she made, uh, in interviews mm. about that aspect of it. Cause she really just dismisses it as disgusting. Um, yeah. and I think that's like literally the word that she uses. And then she, she doesn't really say much more about it. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but it was kind of a little, that, that part of it kind of rankled me a little bit
1: yeah and i think i think it falls into her category of she went someplace cool and then wanted to put it in her film as well like that <laughs> whole i found a cool i found a good location and so i'm gonna write it into my film i think she's she's made that comment before in other uh, in other films of hers uh you know this is something neat that i like so i want to put it in my film and uh, yeah,
0: I guess it felt a little bit more like, like low tourism yeah. to me than s- some of her other work is as problematic as some of that work could be viewed. Like this felt a lot like a very surface perception of like Persian yeah. culture.
1: Yeah, general. that like you almost feel that when Apple says, well, I can't connect with anyone here. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, and no one here is going to let me in, so I don't want to be here anymore. It's almost like exactly what Varda probably felt when she was there, you know, being the type of person who likes to get into other people's lives and talk to them and chat and not getting that reciprocated probably led her to.
0: There's some pretty kick-ass women for (laughs) Iran. on. I mean, like, it's not like, uh, you know, I don't know. No. Maybe I'm just being
1: it's out it's, it's, good that it, it's good that it's good that it's excised excised for that reason but it could be left in for the reasons of uh, of apple's kind of uh story arc a bit more but yeah yeah as a, as a stand as a as a short on its own it's not
0: her arc exception. specifically is very believable in the mm-hmm. movie um in that section so it's not I, I don't think it damages the film from mm-hmm. a narrative perspective it mm-hmm. just felt less uh, thoughtful than what I'm typically accustomed to from Varda.
1: Yeah. Well, that's part of that kind of exotic, exoticization that you did yeah. even back in when you went to Cuba and you're yeah. kind of like, Ooh, you shouldn't be that. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Here's another exotic place. The fact that using yeah. the word Orient makes you go, "Well ah
2: yeah and the fact that uh suzanne refers to it is like her arabian fairy tale
1: yeah
0: yeah oh man um anything else that um we didn't cover from the film that either one of you wanted to touch on
2: nothing coming to mind at the moment
1: yeah i mean i guess it's kind of it was it was interesting that the band plays such a prominent role in the film but we don't get any personal stuff about the band um we get their names at one point but it's more towards the end of the film so it's kind of i found that kind of interesting it's almost like i don't know if i i don't know if i'm missing it or but at the same time they feel like just like you know three ladies that sing all the time and hang out with uh, Apple and it, you know she's not the star it's not like she's the only one singing all the time so I found that a little a little weird but
0: it, it's a real band right yeah or orchids yeah. Are,
1: yeah or orchid right Orchid yeah orchid yeah they're a real band and so isn't the the guy who uh, the guy who they picked up playing the flute um, with his son Zoro like that guy is a musician as well
0: (laughs) right and zoro was was to me yeah yeah, varda's
1: kid um i get he's uh, him and orchid wrote almost all the music for the film um with varda providing lyrics for quite a few of the songs uh or specific songs yeah
0: and apple the woman who played apple uh Learn to sing for the movie. Oh wow. which you can tell, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think she did a good job actually. But I was surprised to hear that that she had yeah, that she had never sung before. So I guess yeah. It was she probably auditioned for the other doesn't role and then Varda was like, No, 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 you you were the one sings. <laughs> She's like, Oh, I gotta do some lessons. <laughs>
1: Which is good. That's why Orchid, you know, they're all layering on top of each other with their lyrics and tones and stuff. So you don't really hear any of, if any of them are bad singers right away. Um,
0: It's interesting. Like I heard, I read that um, in, at this point in, in France, like that vibe, which is very like identifiable in the U S as like late sixties, early seventies, that kind of hippie, Mm -hmm. Uh, what they called in france baba cool um was still very popular and sort of like uh, had a huge you know it was like a big strain in the culture um oh. in the in the mid to late 70s um which is interesting just to think about what else was going on in music outside of france at that time period uh, is just extremely different from It it feels very kind of out of time. Um, It was something definitely that I thought about like before, you know, watching when I was watching the movie. I was like, wow, these this is very hippie for like 1976. Yeah,
1: really hippie. I mean, speaking of something that feels out of time and out of place. Can we talk about the the lead singer of the doo-wop song that she puts her <laughs> oh, first back yeah. to? totally Can we talk about guy. can we talk about uh oh, that
2: guy was Rockabilly so Elvis with his oh. fringe jacket? Uh yeah. Oh. Fringe jacket, no shirt, and uh the necklace that is just like a silver plaque or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh it's so good he looks like a john waters character oh, yes totally so i mean it's
0: so like what like what a perfect union of french and american like it's just this like rockabilly uh, mime basically <laughs> it's just so funny uh, I totally forgot about that guy
1: oh when he pops in every time I'm just i I'm, I'm like dying I'm like that's the yeah. best wherever she found this dude is uh the best <laughs> <laughs> um I guess yeah, the only other thing we stuff. we didn't really talk about we kind of tangentially talk about it but um I really like the way that um she wove the Suzanne's children in and out of the narrative in terms of, like, their growth and, like, their relationship. It was so nice to see a brother and sister relationship that wasn't at odds with each other all the time. Um, They got along really well and they were, you know, it wasn't competitive. It wasn't... You know, I always look at the Disneyfication of America's youth, where every Disney show has a a dad that's stupid and a brother and sister who hate each other and want to best the other or make a fool out of the other one in public somehow. And I don't know why this is a value that Disney feels they need to, like, just continue to... uh, move forward with i don't i don't get it like i didn't let my kids watch any of those disney shows for that reason i wanted them to have a relationship and not think that they're supposed to be fighting all the time yeah um but it was nice
0: session with conflict
1: yeah and it it was nice to see that like you know just their relationship their playfulness um uh marie uh it's marie right that's the oldest daughter suzanne's daughter um growing and changing and kind of, uh, getting her own, um, viewpoints on things, but also kind of taking and taking and adapting from the different, uh, people that they've met in their lives and kind of making it her own. I, it was, it wasn't in the forefront all the time, but the small touches that she did, which, you know, she becomes such a central figure towards the end because she is the future that we're hoping has an easier time with things. Um, i thought that was handled really well it was really beautiful just, just just these really pretty like the scene where the suzanne and marie are in the bathtub and the son is uh getting like the like the trimmers or whatever he is to get ready for the wedding like that just felt like such a real and kind of beautiful moment and it there's lots of those moments peppered in when it comes to that family dynamic that i yeah. really liked
2: Oh, and it was also nice that they don't just hate their mom um, mm. and that it totally because that's another thing that you see a lot is like, oh, you don't understand me. And it's just total conflict between the parent and right. the children all the time. So you killed dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that. Yeah, they have their difficulties, but ultimately, they pretty much get along. That was very nice to see.
1: Yeah. It's almost like an aspirational goal for yeah. her, her, her wanting how she wants to relate to her children. It's, it's, you know, that work and life can mix and everyone can kind of do their own thing, but also, you know, be in harmony with each other without having to, uh, to make that conflict. It was nice. I, I like that a lot. I liked, uh, I liked Marie's story arc as well, and her having a boyfriend towards the end. And, yeah. and you know, that conversation she has with... the. Uh, at that point, I don't know if the guy is just really older, or if Marie is supposed to be playing herself older before she gets switched into uh, uh, Agnes Varda's daughter's uh, age, but... Um, you know, her saying like, I'm not ready and I'm not falling for your shit and yeah. so just back off. If you want to do this with me, you're going to have to do it in my own time. And he's like, yeah, I can dig. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. That's that future. That's that future, uh, that you hope for, right? That's that, uh, yeah. what you're hearing kids talk about it a little bit better today, uh, about how to approach uh, consent and stuff like that.
0: Um, well, thank you, Laura, for, uh, coming on to talk about this movie. Um, it was a real pleasure. Oh,
2: thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. It was nice, uh, nice chatting with you for this, uh, for this episode.
0: Um, Travis, uh, we, we, we've got to slot this one into our rankings. Ooh. Uh, where, where, where would this one sit for you? Um, so...
1: I've had a uh, I've ha- I've had a, I've moved some things around Matt since last we talked. Um <laughs> when I went to approach this list I was like I was like why is this movie so high on my list when I haven't thought about it once mm. and I can't remember anything about it really. Oh and my god. So Nausicaa has moved to last place.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> I
1: it was it was up there like right behind Lions earlier yeah. but i i can't think of it as like besides a, some statuary and a girl leaving a school like that's it that's all i got whereas point court i remember many details of it L- lays creatures i remember more aspects of it because it was so frustrating to me um yeah. so nausica has moved moved all the way down uh, her unfinished film has moved all the way to eight uh, then point court like creatures lions love and lies uh daguerreotypes Cleo, uh, comes in third place and one sings mm-hmm. and the other doesn't moves into second place. Um, with, uh, Le Bonaire still kind of topping it off that movie really Le Bonheurs really like resonated with me and like just shook me like the, mm-hmm. the way that we approach talking about it and the, like I can't get that out of that spot right now, but one sings, the other doesn't. It has such a hopeful vibe that I can't help but hope one day that it beats out Le Bonheur in terms of uh, mm. uh, movies I can rewatch over and over again. But uh, the world that she builds in this movie is uh, is too um, enjoyable. And even with all the the trauma and the uh, the really hard stuff that happens, um, just like in life, like there's... There's the moments of grace and clarity and hope that, uh, help move, help move, uh, me forward through the narrative and help me, uh, think of all the, uh, the good things that, uh, comes from, uh, from tragedy and from hardship that can sometimes happen. So I really like that movie a lot. So it beats out Cleo, beats out Cleo for the number two spot. I, 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 as you know, me, I'm more of a feelings person than an aesthetic person, so this movie has all the feels for me. And so it beats out Cleo with its uh with its structure that is uh, so
0: uh, enjoyable. I think I might be there with you honestly. Like I love I love Cleo, but um yeah, this this is, I just find this to be a very um incredibly moving film and There's very few movies that I can think of that, you know, really make me think about life and passing of time. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that film can do. And this is pretty high up there in terms of of having that impact on me. Um, So I'm going to put that in my number two as well. All Um, right. Bonaire, to me, is still... You know, it's one of my favorite films ever and, and will almost certainly continue to be my number one. We have a bunch of movies I haven't seen yet and one very, very big mammoth film coming up in a couple <laughs> of movies that we'll get to, but, um, but it's, it's likely to remain on top there. But, um, very surprisingly for me, uh, one sinks and the other doesn't is my number two, um. Above Cleo. Do, do you have a preference, Laura, between Cleo and, and this?
2: I think I like this one better. I feel like it's just um, a stronger film overall. Um, in some ways, like Cleo's tighter because it has such. Um, like it follows the timeline of the two hours. Well, you yeah. know, not the quite two hours. Right. But <laughs> I. I just feel like this one's a little deeper. It's one of those things where she made a great film and then she figured out how to make something better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, Cleo is, is, uh, ex- almost entirely successful at what it's trying to do, yes. but in a lot of ways it's like a more narrow focus mm-hmm. in what it's doing. And one sings is a little bit messier, maybe, although it's still very tight. Um, but it's way more ambitious. Um, and I, I, I generally respond more to films that are kind of trying to shoot the moon. Uh, and, and this one definitely, definitely succeeds in doing that. Um, so next time we will be covering another one of my favorite Varda films. <laughs> and this one is very personal to me um, because it is about the city in which I grew up. Los Angeles. Uh, It's called Murmurs, and it is a documentary, um, which is very closely connected with uh, the film following it, which is a fictional movie, but has, um, you know, as is typical with Varda, uh, elements of uh, autobiographical uh, details, including the fact that she the the main character is making murmurs in the film um so uh it will be an interesting pairing um but we're going to start with the uh with the documentary um this is i'm sure one that you have not seen travis am i right
1: i have not seen this one this was uh this yeah. is one of the blind spots for me so i'm really looking forward to checking it out
0: and yeah it's a wonderful movie nice Well, spoiler said. alert. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that it's a really near and dear to your heart because it's another movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That you're so yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Varda had stuck around long enough, I'm sure they would have, uh, you know, gotten her to do one of those.
1: Agnes Varda's Squirrel Girl. I'd watch and it. With... <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're complete for another week music music